All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the recently rebranded Comics Collective. If you've been with us for a while, you knew us as DTR Comics, but both T and R have disappeared, so it seemed a little bit disingenuous to be DTR Comics when I'm just the D. Uh, That sounded weird. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded really bad. Um, Yeah, so anyway, I'm I'm Dallas. I, or, you know, the D of Comics Collective, but today I'm joined again by my co-host, Alexis. Hello. And we're very, very excited to be joined today by Anne from the the awesome Twitter account, Anne Talks Comics. Hi, everyone. All right, Anne, can you introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners? Um... <laughs> Yeah, um, so I'm Anne. Um, I've been running a comics Twitter for about uh, almost a year now. And, you know, that's just kind of what I do. I like, it's my, kind of how I got this gateway into the community, because I've been kind of just on the outside for a while, but now I'm actually actively engaged. And it's so great. It's so awesome. It's, it really saved my 2020, just being around all these fantastic people. So, yeah, that's, I'm, and I started the account just because, you know, I wanted to talk to people and I wanted to kind of, you know, bring a little bit more positivity to, to the community. Because before I was just, I was kind of familiar with it from the YouTube scene. And the YouTube scene can be a little bit um, slightly toxic at times. So Just a tad. Just a little bit. <laughs> just um, a bit. <laughs> it's not fun to be a Captain Marvel fan on YouTube. But um, I yeah. decided I wanted to bring something, you know, a little bit opposite of that to what I was doing. So... I've been working with that, and it's been going pretty well so far. So very happy with it. Yeah, I I would definitely say that you are one of the more positive influences. Even comics Twitter can be a bit of a hellscape sometimes even. And I always know, like, when I see your little, your icon, I'm like, oh, boy, here it is. Here's a good take. Someone that actually likes comic books. It's a rare thing. It's okay. I just avoid talking about Spider-Man at all costs, and it normally goes pretty well. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, as someone that is a diehard Spider-Man fan, it's really therapeutic to never talk about Spider-Man with anybody ever at any time. And I'm like this emerging Superman fan, and I'm like, oh, another one you just can't can't talk about. I'm like, they really just want this to be a solitary hobby. Oh, yeah, that's that's how it works best. For sure. Um, so this week, I mean, we've been kind of pitching it going in the last couple of weeks, but we are talking all about the character of Aquaman and specifically the Jeff Johns run of Aquaman. Yes. And so, and do you want to give a little bit of background about your relationship with Aquaman and yeah, just kind of like, yeah, talk to us about Aquaman. Okay. So my relationship with Aquaman actually goes back a long, long ways. Um, I first met him when I was probably like five years old. Um, I was in kindergarten and there was this long week where I was sick and I couldn't go to school at all. And my parents just kind of boarded me up in their room and turned on the TV and said, here's the boomerang channel. Have fun. Leave us alone for the day. (laughs) And um, 
you know, on there was all the old shows, and that's how I got introduced to, like, the Super Friends, Superman, Batman, and, of course, Aquaman was there, too. And I was really, really into, like, sharks and the ocean, and I mm-hmm. still am, and that was, like, one of the big things, like, oh, I really, really like this guy. But even back then, as a kid, I knew he was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and um, so it was just a mild interest, nothing more. I didn't get into comics for a couple years after that. But um, mm-hmm. it was a it was a mild hobby for a while. It was just like, if I was at the library and I just wanted to pick something up, i go to the graphic novel section, pick up some Ultimate Spider-Man or some X-Men and just kind of um, just skim through it. Didn't really understand anything that was happening, especially in like X-Men and stuff like that. So I couldn't ever really get into it. But um, it was 2013, and I, I remember this very well. I was just sitting on my couch, and I was scrolling through IGN, and I saw a trailer for Injustice. And the specific trailer was, they're like the Aquaman reveal trailer. I'm like, what the hell? Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I'd seen all the, the ads for it, and it looked like such a brutal, violent video game. Everything... People are punching each other. Everything's shaking. I'm like, how is Aquaman going to fit into this? Because I just remember him as the, the silly fish fish guy from the um, the Super Friends show. So I, mm-hmm. I watched the trailer, and I found myself watching that trailer like three or four times in a row because I was completely floored by it. And I'm like, this actually, actually looks really, really cool. And someone in the comments said that, yeah, like, yeah, Aquaman's been cool for a while now. You guys should check out the, the new 52 run. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a look. And I gave um, I checked out Justice League and this run specifically. I started with issue number seven because I also remembered Black Manta. And that was the, the other one I wanted to check out right away. Mm-hmm. So I dove right in there. And those were the first comics I started collecting. And it was around Throne of Atlantis where I started actually following comics actively for the first time ever. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like we got into comics right around the exact same time. <laughs> I I like I came in through the Marvel side and then eventually yeah. went and caught up with all the DC stuff. Yeah. We're like right in the same era of comic fandom. Awesome! I I know a lot was going on then. The New Fifty Two stuff was around then. Marvel Now was happening around then. So those were mm-hmm. some pretty good jumping off points. I know a lot of people really talked down on the New Fifty Two, but I really do think it was a great jumping on place for people because I know oh. that everyone who talks fondly about it, it's like that's where I started. That's where it was easy to start. You know. Oh, totally. I, I was thinking the other day, because I dug out my John's uh, Justice League mm-hmm. issues to go along with this, and I was like, you know, maybe I should reread this. And I was like, I don't know if I'll like it as much as I did when I first read it. Like, I'm having this thing where all these comics I read initially and really loved, I go back and read it, and I'm like, man, man, I do not like this as much. Oh, I, I definitely feel that. I, I actually just did a read-through um, of the John's run on my account. I'm not sure if you were following me at that point but i did a read through where i did a thread for each issue just kind of talked about it and a lot of my love for the run has kind of dissipated because i remember i'm like this is the most phenomenal thing i've ever read when i was reading it but Mm -hmm. you know you read more over the years and you get you look for different things in your comics i -hmm. think it's a great starting run but i don't think it works as a run going back and looking at it there's a lot that i would have liked to see done differently or more but, of course, there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes at that point. I'm sure we'll get more into that later, but... Oh, totally. A lot of things... Um, Alexis... Kind of... oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, you go, Ann. You. I interrupted you. 
Oh, I was just going to say, a lot of things that he kind of built up and promised to deliver on, but then never got a chance to actually follow through with. It was kind of disappointing, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I just in agreement with that point. It seemed to end rather abruptly. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's building, building, building. Oh, it's over. Okay. Um, but I was just going to ask, Alexis, what are your feelings about Aquaman? I know these were your first Aquaman comics <laughs> you read. Um, this was really my first experience ever with Aquaman, if I'm going to be completely honest, because, I mean, I really my only experience with comics as a whole, of course, was with you in high school in our basement on the couch. You know, you'd pick up a big pile and then I'd come and pick through and find all the pretty blondes in the ones, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> and really That's a deep it, well in comics. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of them are pretty blondes. Come on. Um, that's a whole nother thing to open in another episode, but really, and I just, I thought it was really awesome because I know I probably sound kind of like a child. I feel like I'm a child in the comics realm. Like I, (laughs) I mean, I didn't even know that there was like, I mean, quote unquote girl Aquaman. I didn't know Mira even existed. Like that's ridiculous to me. I was like, she is wonderful. Where has she been? Yeah, I, but, I yeah. like all the times that Mara showed up in anything, uh, like pre this John's run for me, was like there was like a tangible shift in how badass she was in this book. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I, maybe I was just I reading the wrong things. Her. But I honestly felt like she she was like the star of this book for me. I was like, oh, oh yeah. Arthur is cool. I like Arthur, but like, oh, Mara rules. Yeah, big time. Sorry, do you want to say something, man? No, that was just, I, I completely agree. I, when I was reading it, I had no idea who Mara was either. And I'm just like, wow, this is, she's she's even more incredible than Arthur is most of the time. Yeah. Why does oh. no one talk about her? Yeah, which made it so validating in the recent Deconic run when Mara was kind of running things. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, things <laughs> as they should be. Perfect. I also, another funny thing that I don't know, like, that I personally caught on to was when like at the very, it was like the very beginning and they were like talking to both Aquaman and Mira and the police kept. And Aquaman was like, no, like her name's Mira, call her Mira. Mm -hmm. She is her own thing. So like, let her be her own thing. She's Mm -hmm. not just, she's not my sidekick, you know? And I thought that was really cool. I loved that. So I was like, yes, let her, let her be her own thing. Which I feel like is honestly rare in comics in general, but like especially even in comics of, it sounds weird to say like of this time, but like the New 52 happened almost 10 years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And the idea of like a female character standing on her own two feet and like the book reassuring consistently like, no, no, this isn't Aqua Lady. This is, it's like the same yeah. thing happened with Jane Foster's Thor. Like, no, no, not Lady Thor. Like mm-hmm. they have their own yeah. identity. And I think that's a really cool shift that's happened in the last 10 years. Yeah, because I mean, we've been reading some old school comics, and they're they're entertaining, that's for sure. But it's a cool shift. I like it. Yeah, um, I think before we dive into the book proper, I do kind of want to talk a little bit about Jeff Johns and his legacy as a writer and as a creator. And I'd love to pick your brain, Anne, and I'd love your opinions as well, Alexis, on interacting with creators that have like made things we like but we don't like them and their actions you know like i don't want to say like separate the creator from the creation because i think that's such a fraught 
term, and that's not what I'm trying to get at, but like mm-hmm. for anyone that doesn't know, Jeff Johns has recently been shown to like to be like a pretty racist person behind the scenes in the movies he's been interacting with with DC. There have been multiple people, including Ray Fisher, that have come forward and say that they were not treated but well by Johns and that his attitudes and behavior directly influenced them, their performances, and the work as a whole in a negative way towards them and other people of color. And I think it's really easy to to like look back on these creators and this time period when these books were coming out with rose colored glasses and want to sweep that stuff under the rug. But like the simple fact is like, you can't do, you can't, you have to address it. You have to talk about it. And I was curious and with someone that has like fond feelings for something created by Jeff Johns. I mean, I know I have fond feelings towards this and other works of his. I want to know how like you sort through who he is as a person and his work that you've interacted with positively in the past say it's it's definitely a loaded you know it's a loaded question it's a loaded scenario it's not something that's been enjoyable to go through because you know no one wants to find out that their favorite author or director or writer is you know an absolute awful human being mm-hmm. i've had the misfortune of going through that several times um harry potter was one of the one of my favorite series as a child and obviously <laughs> that hasn't been going well for me lately um nope. uh, I was a big fan of Joss Whedon's work before. Firefly is one of my favorite shows. And Jeff Johns was one of my favorite um, comic authors up until very recently. So I just, first off, I would like to say I apparently have a, sh- I have shit taste in creators. I, <laughs> I need to figure something out. I was, something needs to change. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to a friend like the a other day and I was, like, I was like, there's like a whole suite of those really popular writers from like the 2000s and early 2010s. That, like I loved as like a teenager, you know, we're and on it. but then like going back and reading them again, I'm like, oh, like it's not a mystery that this person was wasn't great, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I remember loving Whedon's Astonishing X Men, and then I went back and I read it, and I was like, this book makes me uncomfy now. Yes, yes, very much so. I just finished whatever that second arc was with Emma Frost, and it's like as soon as you find out like the person isn't as great as you thought it lifts those those rose colored um lenses off and you start to realize all the really bad tropes they start to put in and it helps contextualize that a little bit more because before it's it's it was obvious that we didn't have like this trope where he does badass female characters but they're a little bit crazy on the side you know Mm -hmm. and it's like Mm -hmm. one of those things like okay he's done this a couple times but then you (laughs) get that context behind him and it becomes something not just that he's doing but that's incredibly uncomfy because you know what's been happening behind the scenes definitely and i think with situations like this it's important that um you do know this when you're diving into the work i think that it helps contextualize everything and i think it helps you understand more um it helps you keep an eye open for things that aren't okay because you know we're talking about what he what Jeff Johns did, and I was just reading it today on going through the um, the first arc into the second one, and I noticed the first person he kills off is Kahina the Seer, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that, and, you know, it could just be nothing, but it's also like, the first person he kills is a woman of color, so that doesn't feel okay to me, because mm-hmm. she dies in a very graphic way. Oh, very. Um, and it's, <laughs> 
it's one of those things where just be aware of it and don't I think it's also important to remember <laughs> you shouldn't try to defend these people just because they've done something that you've liked because you know art's one thing reality's another people should definitely face real consequences for real actions regardless of mm-hmm. whether you like their book their movie etc etc and it's it's hard because I see a lot of people like can I still like this? Do Is it still okay to like this? And I think the way I've kind of come to um, think about it is these books played a really crucial part in my life, but it wasn't because of Jeff Johns. It was because of the story on the pages, the characters on the pages. Um, and a whole team brought that to me, not just, not just Johns. There were a bunch of different people that worked on it. And I feel, you know, in my own personal opinion, I don't think it'd be fair to me and my, you know, this part of my history to just completely write it off just because of one person. But at the same time, I think it'd be, you know, irresponsible to just say, oh, everything's okay, nothing's changed, because stuff, it's definitely changed, you know? And it's just... Definitely. It's hard. (laughs) I also feel like, just kind of what you were saying, it opens up a, like, a doorway to be able to talk about the problematic bits that are even in those works that we like, you know, because like when we pull that back, we can start having more honest conversations about like, okay, Emma Frost is portrayed as like a crazy person because she's a powerful woman. Right. And that's a trope that shows up a lot. And that's something that we as readers by interacting with these old works, we can look at and say like, that's not okay. Let's not perpetuate that. Yep. And so I think there can be like an honest, good dialogue surrounding these works but i agree like it has to be brought up we also can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not happening is that that's a disservice um alexis do you have any thoughts about that well no i i really honestly agree with you both um like kind of how Anne had mentioned with like harry potter you know it's the same that's what i can compare it to and it really was a big part of my childhood. I mean, I was a child. I am still am a child. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you were saying, like, that was a big part of your, like, in high school, I was like, oh, I'm, I was, like, 10. And it's just, I don't know. It was just really hard to hear that such things could be coming from someone that, in my mind, had always created a beautiful world you know because like in a way it created an escape for a lot of people and it created a reality that we could get away from what was in our lives at the moment and to hear someone in our lives like those the writers say something that affects you in real life it's a very interesting concept to understand Mm -hmm. and I feel like um since, like, I, I don't know. I feel like with everything that had happened, it had been a little bit more recently since when I had read the books, of course. So it was just a little bit astonishing. Like, oh, I, this this changes how I feel about the book. But I still, of course, love the book. But it's, it's, it's hard to um, differentiate between the two. I definitely, it's hard. It's interesting. But, of course, absolutely nothing will change the fact about the terrible comments. So mm-hmm. can't agree with that in any way. Disgusting. Yeah. 
And I mean, I feel like moving forward with a lot of these things for me personally, it becomes about like gravitating towards what I like and being willing to critique the bad things and stuff that I like as well. You know, Mm -hmm. like very few artistic endeavors are perfect. And I think in acknowledging the imperfections of them and talking about the problematic things of them, um, it allows for a future where those things don't happen in the same way, you know? And it's not that the world is suddenly going to become a utopia. There aren't ever going to be problematic things ever again. But I think like there are certain things that when we draw a line in the sand and we say like, this isn't okay, Mm -hmm. those things do start to stop happening, you know? And so I just, I personally felt like an important, it was important to talk about all of this before diving into a very formative work on a character that we love, but from a person that it's been said recently, like he's very much been in like the public eye recently Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. negative things that he's been a part of. Yeah. It has to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Um, But moving past Jeff Johns and his negativity towards um, the character of Arthur, I would love. And as like, as Alexa said, this is her first Aquaman. I've read this and I've read Deconic's run and I've read Aquaman appearing in many other things. Mm-hmm. But I would love to hear like your thoughts on Jeff John's run as a jumping on point for the Aquaman character and how like it ch- it helped changed how it helped change the character from like the guy that talks about fish mm-hmm. that was a joke on Family Guy <laughs> to a laughing stock. Like the yeah. cool complex character he is now. I think that um, in in terms of, you know, being a jumping on point and crushing prior misconceptions, I think this is as good a run as you can possibly get for that. Especially this, the very first arc, just the trench. You can, reading that, the whole, you know, the, the, the whole point of that arc is to prove that nothing you thought about Aquaman that you heard on, like, Family Guy or Saturday Night Live, none of that's true. It's just mm-hmm. a whole, it's a myth-busting um session basically it's you look at the first page you see Aquaman out of water and everyone acknowledges this it's like oh what's he gonna do and then he flips a car over his head and then constantly proving that like well just showing off his feats in these very impressive ways that are meant to draw your eye to him like the fact that he's bulletproof the fact that he's a no-nonsense type of hero the the -hmm. fact that um he doesn't talk to fish and that his powers are a little bit more varied than that Mm -hmm. I think it's just in terms of, you know, if, if someone who thinks Aquaman is a joke, if you hand them this run and they still think that later, they're trolling you. <laughs> that's, <laughs> they're lying. That's how it goes. They're, they're lying. They just don't want to see what's on the page. Because <laughs> I remember being much younger and having fights on the internet about this, which I'm so glad I don't have to do anymore. Um, <laughs> but just people, even back when the New 52 started, people that didn't read this run still thought that Aquaman was useless and and i'm like i'm imploring you i'm begging you just read one issue just this first issue and then you can't possibly tell me that and the people that did came back and they're like okay you're right i see it i get it i know my my aquaman awakening was the john's justice league issue where he like summons the giant shark up to Mm -hmm. eat the parademon (laughs) or like the lizard part of the lizard part of my brain was like, now that is something I want more of. <laughs> like, oh, man. 
like, what can you do, little orange man? <laughs> I think I had that same reaction when I was watching the Injustice trailer, and he impales someone and feeds into the shark for, like, his super move. And I think I that... Re- yeah. Okay. Oh, I love that game. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I forgot I remember, that game existed. <laughs> I remember doing that super and being like, wow. <laughs> I also remember playing that game and just being like, the you worst... You were so mean. You were the worst to play that game with. You would always win and never let anybody do anything to try and beat you. Oh, my God. You wouldn't teach us how to play. (laughs) I was the king of, like, the older sibling that would get, like, just hand the younger siblings a controller and be like, good luck. I'm Sinestro and you can't move. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) And then when I figured out how to use Catwoman. Uh, What was that in? I said, I don't think you understand how much of a mood that is. I was actually, um, I was top 100 ranked in Injustice 1. That rules. So you just did that for everybody. See, I felt <laughs> yeah, big by picking on my 10-year-old siblings. sibling of the whole world. Yeah, you just felt big playing everybody. It became a joke at college between me and my friends that no one could beat me. And they kept trying to find ways to do it. It got, it got to a point where they had to hand me a Guitar Hero controller and told me, play on this. <laughs> And I still won. <laughs> That's funny. That's like me and my friends. I basically got a minor in Super Smash Bros. Oh my god! At college, and so I come home and my my family are like, "Oh my gosh, he's a Smash Bros. god!" And I'm like, "You don't even know. My friends are so mean. Like I was forged in fire, and I'm no by no means am I the best." You come in that home group. and be mean to us. <laughs> um, that's a that's a fun detour from our our lovely. Oh. Arthur, but um, back to your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the vi- <laughs> we're we like to talk about how good we are at video games podcast. Um, <laughs> Childhood but, trauma related to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I did find interesting again, like coming back to these very first issues of the New Fifty Two, um, and for anybody at home listening that is unfamiliar with the New Fifty Two. Basically, in 2011, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. there was an initiative from DC Comics to reboot their universe and start, like, much younger and, I would argue, like, grittier versions of their characters as a jumping-on point for new people. They decided to abandon, at least for the most part, their past continuity in the hope of having new readership and... It was pretty successful for the first year. It began to taper off, and then it has since half ended with Rebirth, and DC continuity's been kind of a mess since this decision. (laughs) But I found it really interesting reading this book. Like, it felt... It kept referencing, like, a past history Mm -hmm. that had been retconned away, and that also, like, having not read a bunch of Aquaman before this... And just being, like, used to reading comics, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, that happened. But this really did seem, like, heavily reliant on at least, like, a tangential understanding of Aquaman's past or a willingness to just, like, be along for the ride that I found interesting. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. Anne, have you read, like, a lot of the Aquaman prior to this run? Yes. Or has it been since this run? So. Uh- how was this a status quo shift from, like, the pre-New 52 Aquaman standard? Like, was this, like, a sharp, sharp change? Or is this just, like, a cooler version of what was already there? 
it's actually not too big a status quo change. If you look at like the the run from 2003, I think, where he had the water bearer hand, it's a pretty sharp turn because that Aquaman was still pretty reliant on the I need to be around water a lot of the time to be useful sort mm-hmm. of mentality. But um, and he didn't have a trident at that time. He was a little bit weaker in the strength department. But around the time The Blackest Night came out, which is when John started writing the character for the first time, then you see that this new 52 version very much around in the old continuity. If you read um, Blackest Night and especially Brightest Day, which has this really, really great Aquaman um, story arc through it, which is a real shame that they didn't, they weren't able to follow that through into the new 52. You see little elements of it there, like the the notion of um, Mera being an assassin sent to kill Aquaman, that was introduced there, I believe, for the first time. Mm. Um, and um, there's some other things that happen there. But that version of Aquaman is basically exactly the same as the New 52 one. So it was it was coming around that time. It was Johns who gave him the, the little bit of a power-up. But mm-hmm. um, from 2003, it's like a 75% match, I would say. The 90s Aquaman is maybe like a 50% match, maybe 25. He is very, very different. There was, um, <laughs> I don't know if you've read any of the 90s stuff, but his name was Orin. He was the son of an Atlantean sorcerer instead of a human. It was, wow. it's, it's bonkers crazy. I'm, it's, it's the hardest run for me to read for many reasons, but th- that's part of it. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, but. Yeah, I, my only interaction with him from the 90s is in Morrison's JLA run, mm-hmm. which, I mean, he's more or less a side character in that run. I wouldn't argue that Aquaman's a main character of Morrison's oh, yeah. JLA, mm-hmm. but this is certainly a much more badass version of that character than what was going on, at least from what I've read yeah. in the which 90s. Is, which is funny because the 90s version, you know, was meant to be badass. It's like, look at me. I'm no shirt and a hook hand. I'm so awesome. I'm so mm-hmm. 90s. I'm so metal. Oh, 90s comics. What's funny is like the same vitriol that people talk about the new 52 with, I do to the 90s comics, right? I'm like, that came right before I started reading, so I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've read a single 90s story I like other than like JLA and um, Busick's Thunderbolts. That's like the end-all be-all of the 90s for me. I just kind of avoid it. There's Onslaught going on. And a lot of crazy guns. That's about all I know about the 90s. Patches, guns, and metal body parts. <laughs> um, I just, I love the idea. I was an archaeology major in college. I love the idea of someone, like, digging up 90s comics and being like, wow, this is what their religion was. Very, very buff man with a lot of pouches. I wonder what this means. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, I think about a lot of that stuff from when i was a younger kid i'm like you know for like such a homophobic time they made some like really homoerotic art <laughs> you know like i went back and i tried to rewatch the he-man cartoon from my childhood and i was like why did my dad let me watch this and like pushed me towards this Don't I'm, like, that. I'm like no no men have clothes in this dad I'm like, i think this is why i turned out the way i did which i'm grateful for but it, it was an interesting time. <laughs> it was your spiritual awakening. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, specifically with the run, so there are five, there are four or five major story arcs, right? Mm-hmm. There's the trench, which I would love to dive deeper into. I, 
I thought that was such a revelation. Pun intended. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Thank you. And I love, and then there's Aquaman and the others. Mm -hmm. There is Throne of Atlantis. And then I forget, is there something before the Dead King returns? Or does it just go straight into that? There's just like a couple filler issues that take place between the arcs, but it's, they just go straight into the Dead King after that. I really feel like Throne of Atlantis was like a major watershed for the story, you know? Like issue one up to issue 18 very much is like, this is a story. And then from 18 to 25 seems like the beginnings of a story and like sort of a wrap up, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I would love to talk about just that first 18 issue you run and how we feel like it builds the Aquaman mythos. Mm -hmm. Because opening up, the like the very first page of issue one seeing the trench come up out of the deep like it was just as someone that loves i mean again speaking of problematic creators um someone that loves a lot of the hp lovecraft monsters mm-hmm. i was like oh boy oh boy because like i've seen the trench in other places right i had seen the cover for issue two and mm-hmm. i was always just fascinated i was like now that is something i need to read about and it starts with like such a, a wonderful cold open to Arthur's status quo and setting him up as like sort of this character of two worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are your feelings about the trench as an antagonist for Aquaman? I think um, when people talk about Aquaman, one of the things they bring up that has always been a sort of problem area for the character is that he has two, maybe three good rogues and then a lot of weird rogues. Like, there's mm-hmm. Black Manta and there's Ocean Master, and then there's kind of Scavenger, but then there's just a lot of really weird things. Like, um, I don't know if you've seen all the pictures of the fisherman and his um, crotch fishing pole holder, which is so bizarre from the 60s. Well, now that's going to be in my search history. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, and then the 90s, it was just a bunch of really magic monster-based enemies. Um, mm-hmm. Charybdis, which I, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Um, yeah, a lot of the names are very hard to pronounce and remember from that era. Mm-hmm. It's just, as far as rogues go, Aquaman is not the Flash. He's not Spider-Man. He doesn't have a lot. So I think to start off with a new a new enemy and one that is so immediately visually striking and so viscerally appealing as the Trench was such a good good way to start it. Because... I think, especially in recent years, Black Manta has become like Aquaman's Joker in the way that he's been so overused that I could go another five years without seeing him ever again and be completely mm-hmm. okay with it. Um, and they did something really interesting with Ocean Master, but in like 50 years of history, I think that's one of the only times that Ocean Master has ever interested me. Mm-hmm. So to start off with a new villain like this, it gave us hope that like for the first time, you know, they might there's you know sorry i'm trying to gather my thoughts because there's a part in the book where um arthur's talking to his dad it's one of the flashbacks and he says that um in the ocean there are things you can never even imagine and i think that's one of the shames of aquaman is they haven't until this point they hadn't really played around with that mm-hmm. and i think the trench promises that you can find really cool things to bring out of the ocean to make aquaman fight and it can be really entertaining. And I think that was one of the best things the New 50 Run 
New 52 run um, as a whole did, especially even when Parker took over and they had the um, the Chimera come out too and the, the giant Leviathans. It's just, it was so good to have uh, um, Arthur fighting sea monsters. I love it very, very much. Yeah. Uh, do you have any feelings about the trench, Alexis? Um, first off, I, I just want to say I loved the art of the entire, mm-hmm. like the whole run. I just, I thought it was super cool, but really the trench was like the first thing that we got to see. And I thought it was really cool how they portrayed like the, like the deep dark ocean, but still making it look obviously, because I mean, obviously it's, it's dark and black down there and you can't really see a whole lot but i thought it was really cool the way that they presented it so that you could still get a full image of everything you know um mm-hmm. and i i kind of did i mean in my ignorance i thought i thought they were pretty cool i mean if i saw something like that crawl out of the ocean i'm pretty sure i'd shit my pants <laughs> <laughs> i love the line where they're just like people don't go in the ocean anymore and i was like now that is an appropriate response <laughs> to one of those climbing out of the water at you (laughs) no but i don't know i thought they were pretty cool i thought they were fun fun way to start high pack action right at the beginning Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this is obviously it's called like the the john's run right but i think ivan reese is such a blessing to this book yes Mm -hmm. like without his iconography without his character designs i don't think that this lands as well if going back in again to dunk on 90s comics we're going to lose like some listener that has a bunch of nostalgia <laughs> for the nineties. And honestly, like you're welcome to go. I don't like the same comics as you. No, I'm just Goodbye. kidding. <laughs> um, but like as someone that has definitely had to suffer through art for story before looking at you, Morrison JLA, um, I, I thought this was so visually stunning. And I thought there were so many times, like I get caught up with what was going on with a page before yeah. I started reading the dialogue. And like that like to, to turn me, the page and just see how much color and like so much going on. I love it. There were just so many striking moments. And I felt like there was a beautiful balance of like intricate storytelling. And then just like amazing splash pages, right? Like Arthur standing in the rain screaming, I am your king. You like, you have to sit oh on that God. for a minute. <laughs> you have to be like, he is, he is like, my king. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. You're right. You can be my king any day. i mean true um but like i was going through the back matter on my omnibus and just to see the character designs from reese for the trench like it just seems like such a revelation you know Mm -hmm. to see them and be like that came out of someone's brain and like there's no question if they weren't as visually striking if arthur's design wasn't as visually striking if mara wasn't as visually striking, like, I don't know that this would have sucked me in quite as fast, right? Right. Because I agree. They, do, they do rely on a relatively decompressed version of storytelling here, where, like Alexa said, we've been reading a lot of comics from the 1980s for some of our other shows. <laughs> and, like, oh boy. you can't even see the art behind some of those bubbles. <laughs> it's just a whole page of words. <laughs> it, it, there's, like, there's nothing more discouraging than turning onto a page and being like, oh no, this is a novel. Like, I read comic books because I'm stupid. Um, I want the pictures here. I want pictures to tell my story. And, like, Ivan Reese does a phenomenal job of telling the story with his art in almost like a Lee and Kirby way, you know? Very much so. And going back to what Alexis said, just 
<clears throat> the fact that you he was able to take the bottom of the ocean, just this barren black expanse, and make it its own unique and like <clears throat> visually engaging setting, that takes a lot of a lot of talent. <laughs> That's something that can't be undersold. Is just turning nothingness into something you actually want to look at. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally, and like just the idea. Uh, like the bioluminescence of the trench to make it visually striking, but then like bringing that in as a story beat to be like, oh no, these are ravenous predators because like it would take so much energy to live like they live. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. And just the dark of the actual trench itself has like it brings this creeping horror with it. Like this mm-hmm. whole arc feels very much like Eldritch Horror. It reads like something that like Joe Hill would make for Hill House Comics, you know? Oh, it's good. It is good, good, good. Um, so again, me drawing on Anne's endless wisdom of Aquaman, right? Um, so what were your feelings about Aquaman and the others? Do you, so I'm showing my own ignorance here. Was this like a new development, this team? Or was yes. this a reference? So it was a new team. Yes. Oh. As far I, as I'm aware, this team first appeared, you know, <clears throat> Right here at the end of Aquaman number seven. As far as I'm aware, that's the first time any of these characters have shown up. Which is so cool. I mean, that makes they me feel a lot feel, better. They feel storied. They feel like mythological almost, you know? Right. And again, striking, striking character designs <laughs> to where like it becomes apparent that these artifacts from Atlantis are important, but like you know that from the art beforehand. Oh, you yeah. know? You see the gold, you see like these crazy like I mean, on the cover of my omnibus, I see Volko's helmet, right? I'm like, oh, that's something cool. That's important. And so then again, to see almost the story come out of the artwork is amazing. Very much. And um, number seven was actually the first first issue I started on. Mm -hmm. So when I was reading it, I was kind of like, okay, who are these people? Because I came here for Aquaman, but I have no idea who they are. But I was surprised at how quickly I was able to catch on and just follow along with it, even though I'd never heard of any of them before, Mm -hmm. which apparently no one else had either. So I think um, (laughs) I I fell in love with them, like, instantly. I'm like, okay, I came here for one character, but now I'm here for, like, six others. And um, I remember when their their spinoff series got announced. I was so excited for that as well. I just... They were such a nice addition to the Aquaman mythos, and I think this introduces a lot of things like that. Some of them they didn't get to follow through on, like the Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. is one of the things that they added that you know starts in this arc, ends in this arc, and it's just it feeds, <laughs> it works for Aquaman's character in a very specific way, and it makes the story really something special for me. Oh, I definitely agree. I feel like these are the kind of characters that you want to see again, right? Like if whatever iteration of an Aquaman book comes out in the future, if they did a story arc where some of these characters came back, like I would be there in a heartbeat, you know? That's how endearing they are in just six issues. Absolutely. Um, Alexis, did you, how did you feel as someone, like as someone new to this mythos reading this? Do you feel like, you were introduced well to these characters and you could just run with it or did you or were you worried that you were missing something um 
Initially, I was a little confused as to if they had been introduced before, of course. I hadn't mm-hmm. I hadn't known that this was their first introductory. Um, but I I really liked the way, like, the initial appearance, like, when... Oh, now, for the life of me, I can't remember her name. The cool lady with the panther. Um, when she, like, came to Arthur and Mira, I thought that the way that like, her whole entrance, the way that she like proclaimed herself to them, I thought that was really cool. And how quickly it got the ball rolling with Arthur. He instantly was like, I've got to go. We've got to figure this out. Like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. I thought that was really cool. Um, and I also thought it was really cool to see that he obviously had a relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. And he very um, connect- he connected with them on a very deep level. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool to see um, him have relationships with other people other than the ones that we classically know, like the Justice League, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Um, I also think this second arc for me had one of the best Mara moments. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love the others, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up like Mara in the grocery store. Oh, love it. And Yeah, I read it and I was like... I was surprised that this was written when it was. You know? In like 2011. Because like most of the contemporary work that I've read from this time or just before this time wouldn't paint the creepy grocery guy as the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was just refreshing to read a story and be like, oh, this artist is, well, I mean, this writer is interested in painting Mara in an interesting light. He's interested in making her powerful and like, She's not crazy for being powerful. She's not like a jerk for being powerful, right? Like these other people are the jerks for it. Yeah. And it's that whole Marocentric issue for me was awesome. Um, what did you think of the portrayal of Mara in in this storyline, Alexis? I thought it was really cool to see her, um, kind of like what I said in the beginning of her being an individual um, and showing like how badass a woman really can be. I mean, like, oh, I can't remember which party I was in, but when she like, cause of course she, from my understanding, she controls water. Like she can manipulate mm-hmm. water mm-hmm. for the life of me. I wouldn't have put together that there, she can manipulate the water in people's bodies. <laughs> That's a oh, lot of frightening. <laughs> my heart was like beating. I was like, oh my gosh, is she going to be a bloodbender from Avatar? <laughs> oh my gosh, Katara. <laughs> Katara. But no, really, I was like, oh my gosh, like she really is a villain. She could do a lot of damage. She's really cool. And I, re- I once again, I really liked the supermarket scene where she really wasn't having that creepy man. And she told him. <laughs> She said, don't touch me, and broke his arm. So. Like, yes. Yes. And I, I know. I was like, just pump. But I also love that, like, I felt like it was portrayed in an honest way, right? Yes. Where, like, she made very clear to him yeah, many said, times, like, I'm not, not okay me. with this. Yeah. And then when she reacted, like, she was portrayed as the villain, right? Yeah. And how the and police like, came and got her. It almost felt like, like the ending of Get Out, right? Mm-hmm. When when the cop car shows up and like, because you know that society is kind of shitty, you're like, uh Oh, yeah. Oh no, this yeah. is not good. And like, 
I think that was a really good check your bias moment, right? Yeah, um, and also how she was able to stand up for the other woman in the experience as well. Like she obviously did something for her as well because she totally. had been dealing with that. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And that moment of solidarity solidarity where the woman comes back to Mary at the end just to, you know, give her yeah. the dog and to let her know that not everyone's so bad. Yeah. I thought it was really touching too. I thought that was a really interesting theme explored throughout like the mm -hmm. latter half of the run that like there are good people, but to these Atlanteans who only ever have to interact with the bad people, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that would seem like news to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought, again, another great check your bias moment was when they were talking to some of the Atlantean guard and they were like, well, think about those, like a little boy in Boston that's only ever seen you invade his Harbor. Like you are a bad guy to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I would, I would love to talk a little bit about themes in the book, but it feels like Johns is really interested in talking about the conflict between two worlds with this yes. story, mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. in my mind, because like you look at Superman, like the prototypical superhero, right? He is seen as almost like this immigration figure, right? He comes from a faraway land. He lands here and he fulfills in the 1930s, the American dream. He becomes the Superman Mm -hmm. um, but like Krypton is a faraway place that only like interacts with him culturally and tangentially, right? But Aquaman in this run for me explores such a, an interesting space where like he isn't divorced from Atlantis, right? Like he is mm -hmm. a person of the land, he's a person of the sea, and he doesn't quite fit in in either place and he has to interact with the complexity of that. And so much of the story for me seemed to be coming back to I mean, here's a terrible pun coming, but like Arthur being a fish out of water, no matter where he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on what you feel like Johns was trying to say about Aquaman with this story. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different things I could say about like what he's trying to say using Arthur and Atlantis as a place. I think Throne of Atlantis onwards, a lot of that, you know, Arthur's responsibility comes down to, you know, branching this, branching these two worlds that are very, very different. And, you know, obviously in real life, we have so many different people that <laughs> just don't get along. And mm -hmm. so it's a very, a very common theme. But I think the one thing he does very well is showing that, hey, everyone here is just trying to exist. Because, like, Atlantis only attacks because they were attacked and people only attack because they were attacked. And I like that he shows the, the both sides of it. It's like, you guys are basically the same exact thing. You both think awful things about the other, even though they're not really, you know, deserved. And you've both done terrible things to each other. <clears throat> but it's all all for your, you know, all for the sake of your people. And maybe you're not... And Sorry, I'm, I completely lost my train of thought. Um, like in the... Sorry, again, <laughs> completely lost my train of thought. You're okay. um, no, you're, you're good. I think that's a really interesting point to bring up, especially again at this time in 2011, where like America is very much involved in these foreign conflicts and the demonization of those people far away, right? Yes. And this serves as an interesting commentary of the time on like these far away foreign strange fish people are just as human as you are. They have just as many reasons to be angry with you as you do them. And like this conflict is more complex than you give it credit for. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Very much so. 
And I really like that place that, uh, that Arthur's in. I think it's one of the reasons I clung to the character so much is just the idea that no matter where you, where you came from, there's you have a responsibility as a person of the world to you know help out when you can. And um, the fact that he's stuck between these two places that hate each other and he belongs to neither one that's such a, a fascinating theme to me that I think you know starts at the be- starting from the very beginning. You see, he's kind of just turned that away. He doesn't want that responsibility. He's just I just want to live with my own wife. I'm going to go up to the surface. I'm not going to care about them anymore because they obviously don't care about me completely cuts that off from his life mm-hmm. and i think that's a contrast to what we see in the second arc where he kind of cut off the surface from his life he went straight to atlantis he became you know atlantean royalty and that's where we meet him at the beginning of the justice league run and then at the end of throne of atlantis when he finally realizes neither one of those worked this conflict i was trying to avoid still happened i have to take on this responsibility myself and I think that's, it sucks to be Arthur, but that's, seeing how he comes through it and is still the hero at the end, that's something that's really, really hard to do. And it's one of the reasons I respect him as a character so much. Because, you know, if you're Superman, everyone loves you. You can do the right thing because you're Superman. It's easy to do the right thing when everyone loves you. But when you are the outsider and no one likes you, it's a lot harder to do the right thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it means a lot more when Aquaman chooses to protect the people that hate him, right? It's it's the X-Men paradigm where they're superheroes for people that don't necessarily want them. And like, there's there's a lot of virtue in that. Very much. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Alexis? Honestly, I I agree with both of you. I think it's awesome. I'm yeah. sorry, I was really listening to what you two were saying, and I had no train of thought to follow up. <laughs> just I no was thoughts, really head empty. <laughs> just, just food. I'm thinking okay, about food. just ask you to contextualize the theme of four story arcs. Just Yeah, yeah, just off yeah. the cuff, you know? You got just, this. I want you to give me the deeper meaning of this story right now. <laughs> no other context. Yeah, I, yeah honestly... That's, that really yeah. is the goal of this podcast is for me to ask questions that I couldn't answer myself. <laughs> just just, pass just it to off. be mean. Yeah. Just like, hmm, here's something just I'm thinking. A heart attack. I don't have to come up with it. What do you think? <laughs> and then like the burden's on you to not look stupid. And I seem like this really wise person. I literally texted you before this and I go, I hope Anne doesn't think I'm an idiot. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> I do not. For the record. For the record, I do not. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel fantastic. <laughs> yeah, let's get, that can be the power play is like, I ask stupid hard questions and invite us to play Injustice with her and she'll kick our asses. <laughs> and Alexis can be like, hey, Dallas, do you have your life together? And I'll be like, oh, no. <laughs> oh. oh, my. Um, so maybe transitioning a little bit to just like a broader talk. What are some of our favorite moments from the run here. Oh my god. <clears throat> you know, there I, I am again asking broad questions that I'm not ready to answer. And I just have <laughs> no, to let you, you go first. Them. Do we have enough time? How much how long <laughs> do you want this podcast to be? Uh you we got the time for you, Anne. You're the star. <laughs> yep. Um since we were talking about the second arc just not too long ago and we were talking about Mara, I think 
my favorite moment, possibly in this entire run, because back when I was younger, my main thing was just all the really cool feats that Arthur had, like when the in the fourth arc where he uses a whole ass freighter ship as a baseball bat. Um, oh yeah, subtle flex. In the first one, which I was just awing at today, where he literally pushes a huge like continental shelf down on the trench, that stuff like that's always stuck out to me. But there's this soft moment that has really been living rent free in my head for like the last couple years <laughs> mm-hmm. from issue number 13 where um it's the very end of the others arc where arthur's realizing like hey i'm sorry i pushed all of you away it's just you know it's kind of really hard i'm and he says i'm ashamed of who i'm of who i am aquaman is nothing but a costume and mara comes up and does the best thing she's ever done in this <laughs> ever done for him yes. and she picks up the costume and says put it on anyway and she says, don't undervalue who Aquaman truly is. And that hit that always hits me so goddamn hard. I loved when she said that. It's just, it's so incredible. Because one of the things that really drew me to Aquaman, you know, the fact that he doesn't fit in anywhere. But he's really cool. No matter what anyone says, he's really cool. And I think that's that really played to me, especially back when I was reading this back in high school. It was like I, I was kind of the outcast back then, and you know sometimes when you're the outcast, it's hard for you to have good thoughts about yourself. So to see a character who's going through that same thing, but someone come and talk some sense to him, say no nonsense, you're ridiculous, you're being ridiculous, you're awesome. That that meant a lot to me, and that moment is just, it's why I love them so much as a couple. Cause she helps him get through that bullshit. Yeah, she's such an important pillar in his life. Like I think that was another thing that they really tried to show is like he really isn't alone like they're they're there together and she wants to be there for him mm-hmm. which i thought was really cool too and she she can see him for what he can't recognize as what he is right and that moment yeah. at the end too where he asks her to stay and she initially decides she can't but at the end um this the way the whole story ends with just her coming down and I can always like hear music playing in my this really beautiful music playing in my head every time I read through, and she just settles down next to him without saying a word, smiling, and then she just looks at him and says, "Shave the beard," and <laughs> the story ends. And I think that's just the most fantastic way for it to end. Mm-hmm. Those are Very those are my two favorite soft moments from the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. All right, so Anne, I have a very important deep question here. All oh. right, so. How do you like? What is your ideal Arthur hair beard combo? Are you with Mara that he should shave it? Do you like short hair with beard? Do you like long Jason Momoa hair and beard? Okay, so I am I'm one hundred percent with Mara. I think he should shave the damn thing. But if he has to have it, I like medium length hair, like regular length beard. Nothing too crazy. Nothing like Jason Momoa length. I think a good medium length is pretty solid. Like what he had in the very last issue of um, the Connick's run, I think that's, mm. if you're going to have the beard, that's how you do it. That's perfect. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'd say I really liked his portrayal in the Connick's run mm-hmm. with the medium length hair. That's that's how I want to look, but really my hair is so poofy, I just kind of become like <laughs> a giant mushroom. It just grows up. It doesn't grow down. It grows up. <laughs> I have this dream where I have like flowing locks like Arthur and 
really, I just get like that 1970s Captain America bubble helmet. Just <laughs> kind of how my head looks. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's like that's the... kind of self-deprecating humorous when it's right on the nose. <laughs> it's like that one summer where you were like having a crisis. I don't know what you were doing junior year. <laughs> and you were and your hair was going nuts and you started mowing the lawn without shoes and everyone thought you were losing your mind. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. All right. So there's my low moment for the podcast. <laughs> and that's the person that edits. That's disappearing. That's not making it into the cut. Yeah. That's not making final cut. Surprise. Surprise, my uh, whole character is deleted off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like take these weird me. gaps. <laughs> <laughs> just take me out. Oh, man. Yeah, moving just flawlessly away from that. <laughs> swimming sorry. into the embarrassment. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That is pretty funny. I loved, I think you tweeted about this yesterday, and Aquaman coming up out of the lava. I was like, what a majestic moment. <laughs> I mean, first off, just cool shot in general, but like the way he's leading with his chest there, that's hilarious to me. Oh I love it. It's so majestic. You can't look at that and not just like, like whisper to yourself, you majestic bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I also, I'm looking at it right now. I love the drop of lava that's covering his nipple. And <laughs> you just got... <laughs> I mean, we can't, that's just lewd, you know? Aquaman can never have a shirt, but we got to have lava cover his nipples. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'd be okay with it if he was shirtless all the time, but there's always just a little glob of lava that follows his nipple. It's just like floating It's floating around like the little fuzzball in every Barbie movie. <laughs> He's just got his glob of lava floating to cover his nipples. <laughs> and then like someone on Twitter will be like, what's up with Aquaman's new orange pasties? And, like, and someone have a whole thread about how it's lava and it's a reference back to this. Oh my God. Great. The lore behind the lava. <laughs> that can be the essay at the back. The lore behind the lava. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. Um, oh, what else? I I love like every use of a double page spread and a splash page in this oh, series mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Like I'm a sucker for a splash page, right? It's very hard to mess that up. But there's something about, like, I'm just flipping through this omnibus, and every time I hit one, I'm like, ooh. Like, I'm just looking at this one of Mera just, like, flying through the ocean to go save Arthur from Black Manta. Yeah. In the throne room. I'm like, I mean, really, the, the title says Aquaman, but for me, this story was Mera by Jeff Johns. Also, Arthur is there. <laughs> Not even Aquaman, just Arthur. Mero is yeah. the side of Arthur. <laughs> I would. Uh, I was just saying, I would love like just a behind the scenes series where it's just like the home life of Mara and Arthur, and it's more of like Mara going to get the dog food. I feel like every time it flashback to her and at the lighthouse, I'm like, now this is where it gets good. <laughs> I want to see the story where she goes skiing for the first time. I want to see that happen. Yes, yes, yes. That's so cute. That was so fun. I was like, that's when it really opened my mind where I was like, oh, they're going to do cool things with her water powers. Because I was like, snow is water, blood is water. She is so powerful. <laughs> People are made out of water. <laughs> that's, that's such a fast fast way to bridge that gap. Snow is water, blood is water. <laughs> you know, all of, Zero all to of the main substances. Quick. The main Normal substances of life. Water, snow, and blood. 
<laughs> Growing up in Utah, those are the three things that are ever present. Oh my gosh. That <laughs> um, so, Mara, for a second, if I can. I yeah, just go for it. I love, like, you know, I, the first arc is just like, hey, Arthur's not as, you know, as weak as you think. The whole story is, hey, Mara isn't as weak as you think. Look at how cool she is. Like, I love the little lines where it's like, I hear she's stronger than Wonder Woman, which was a thing in Blackest Night when they had to fight each other. Um, I like in the second one where they ask, someone asked Mara, it's like, can you swim as fast as he can? And she says, faster. Mm-hmm. And that was on that splash page you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then in the fourth one where they, you know, they kept a prisoner for like six months and she hadn't had water for two days because the last time they gave her like a drop, she put a crack in a concrete wall. And I think that's just so fantastic. This, this whole run for both of them is really just a show of strength, and I always appreciate that. And I think that's part of the reason why I got so excited for Andy lately, seeing her in Future Stakes. I'm like, she's just both these people put together. Just That's all I ever need. That's all I will ever need again. So yeah. I'm like, now, we don't want to talk about these superheroes' pedigrees, but if we were, like, <laughs> the best genes in comics come for Andy... Um, oh, what's their last name? Curry. Curry, yeah. Yeah, Andy Curry. Yeah, that was a brain for a moment. So, uh, yeah, Andy Fish. Um, <laughs> Alexis, for for you, the most recent uh, Aquaman run, Mara and Arthur had a baby, and her name is Andy. And there was just this excellent, excellent story that you can go read Anne's thoughts about it on her Twitter. But I would love that. There's a couple about, thoughts. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is just a couple thoughts, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Andy is this amazing, amazing character that we're lamenting that there's no news for further stories. Because no. she's a perfect combination of two perfect characters. It's mm-hmm. true. It's wonderful. Yeah, and for everyone, go out, read Future State Aquaman number one and two. It's so fantastic. Please go support it. If you all buy it, they'll make more. Yeah, <laughs> true. That. Like, I've just always got to remind people that Giant Days was a six-issue mini, and it just got bought so many times that it went on for 40-plus issues. God bless. Once in Future was a six-issue mini. Everyone bought it. Now we're on, like, issue 20. So if all of you idiots, buy them. (laughs) Idiots, I am idiots. It's a term of affection. (laughs) I look in the mirror every morning. I'm like, if this idiots buys every comic alive ever, this industry will never go away. And that's the guilt I live with. (laughs) Buy this. I'm so tired of Batman. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, see, I feel guilty because, like, Batman is definitely a comfort character for me. Like, one of my earliest, earliest memories was in preschool at, like, age four. And all the other boys were, like, I I remember, like, very vividly. They were, like, hey, Dallas, want to come? tie up all the Barbie's hair to the pirate ships with us at playtime. I was like, no, I do not. And I'm just like playing with my Batman toy in the corner by myself. They're like, do you want friends? And I'm like, nope, I've got this Arctic Batman. And that like, wasn't just at the age of four. <laughs> this was yesterday. Yeah. yeah this has it, been the past 23 years. And it's just carried through, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone with comics is like, they're making too much Batman. Dallas, what do you think? I'm like, I'm just over here with Arctic Batman man i'm not interested it's like there's a very real guilt where i'm like man there are too many batman comics and then i look look at my pull list and i'm like man there are too many batman comics (laughs) so i am the problem anytime you're angry about anything 
<laughs> you can just be like Kramer being like Newman, which is like Dallas. <laughs> That's the real one. I'm just going to at you and say this is your fault. You made True. this happen. You're the reason. You're going to be adding me every day. Every day. <laughs> every day until I die. Just, just be ready. <laughs> every day until you or Batman dies. <laughs> so until I die. <laughs> 45 years from now, we'll find out. When DC Comics changes their name to just Batman and Company. <laughs> I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. How it basically has. But, Alexis, do you have any favorite moments from the run that you want to talk about before we start wrapping up? Um, I wouldn't necessarily like, I mean, obviously, I loved reading it, but I loved also finding out a lot more that I just had no idea existed, you know? Like, of course, um, I was introduced to Black Manta for the first time. I, I had seen him before you know like I kind of knew that he existed but I never really fully understood his character Mm -hmm. and one thing that really stood out to me was the dynamic of how they became like enemies you know Mm -hmm. because I hadn't I didn't know that um that when Manta had attacked Arthur that Arthur's dad had passed away but they but Arthur had thought that it was Manta that killed his father. Mm-hmm. And so when he went hunting down Manta and accidentally killed his father, like I didn't realize that that was the whole thing about it is that it was their dads that mm-hmm. overall caused the, the whole character arc with the both of them. And I thought that was really cool. And that was something really awesome to learn as well. Yeah. And then just, um, I, th- I don't know. I just really, I feel like I keep going back to like the second section arc, mm-hmm. but I just really feel like that one, what in my mind was kind of the coolest. I don't know. I really liked um, the others. I really liked kind of how it like built up all this um, suspense of like, oh no, like Manta's the one behind all of these um, mm-hmm. artifacts. Like he's the whole reason. And then we saw that it was actually like, Atlantean soldiers that were involved as well, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, the second arc was way better than it does. Like, no, it deserved to be that good. It was like it lived up to any hype that you got from looking at those covers. Yeah, yeah, and I and of course the artwork and those were fantastic as well. So I like looking at them. I I think that Black Manta has the best and stupidest character design I've ever seen. Like, if I had to be like, what is the perfect comic book outfit? I'd be like, it's got to be Black Manta, right? Because he is spandex to the nines, and then he just has a flying saucer for a head, question mark? (laughs) Like, that's perfect. I'm sorry. Absolutely perfect. Like, what part of him was, like, deep sea diving? You know what I'm going to need? 48 inches of screen space. Well, no, you want to know what my very first thought was? Because I was reading it. I was like, I swear I've seen this character before. I was like, there's no way that I don't know who he is. And then it hit me that I, my whole life, have thought that he was the, you know, that one guy in SpongeBob that's like the villain for Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy? (laughs) I I wholeheartedly thought that it was him. (laughs) I realized that they're two separate people. I I mean, they're totally. But they're the same. It's totally a riff, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yep. That was I mean, that was a really funny trip for me. 
I mean, we can talk about negative portrayals of Aquaman in media, but Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy are the For ideal this. for how Aquaman's story ends, right? No matter what ups and downs it has, he ends up in Bikini Bottom as Mermaid Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the end game. That, yep. <laughs> we're in the end game Retirement. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Mara's off still being a hero. Yeah, she's still, <laughs> she's still she's my bullshit. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, stupid but amazing character designs. Ocean Master. I really feel like Aquaman's villains were like, you know, I've got to look. I'm going to create a costume that is so stupid, but perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and just like the Sue Sylvester meme. And I love them for that. I love that my wife looked over at me reading. She's like, what is that man wearing? And I was like, perfection? Question mark? <laughs> I'm like, look at the fins on the side of his face. He's perfect. Fins. Everyone needs fins. Yeah, I mean, I would wear an Ocean Master helmet. Yeah, so for that mystery benefactor of the podcast out there listening, because you saw the Anne was on the show, so you're a new listener, just loaded with money, um, you can ship us the Black Manta helmet and the Ocean Master helmet, each one of us. All three of us want one of those. It's <laughs> a lot so. of helmets. New if, you need a, if you need a tax write-off, I'm sure the shipping on Black Manta's helmet alone would completely put you in the red, save you so much money. It's perfect. We would love to be comic book sugar babies. <laughs> I'm going to change that my to my Twitter bio feed. on Twitter. <laughs> comic book sugar babies. <laughs> All three of us can do it. It won't be such and such talks comics anymore. It's such and such comic book sugar baby. <laughs> should have been our rebrand what the heck that's, that's the new um twitter super follows thing that's what we're gonna do oh. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's just it's an only fans but it's just us not doing anything lewd it's just us in like various ridiculous comic book outfits no it has to be us with just the helmets on oh jeez <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> There, yeah, there's the next Aquaman run. If DC, if DC really wants to be brave, make that Aquaman comic. You, you want to make him shirtless, put Ocean Master in just the helmet, you cowards. <laughs> Do it, I dare you. Cowards. Atlanteans don't need clothes, don't be ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Why would he need it under the ocean? Do you see a fish in a t-shirt? No. You're just a bunch of prudes. If Aquaman has to wear jeans, Ocean Master has to wear nothing but a helmet. And he can have a lava bubble floating over him, too. <laughs> oh. That's, that's fun. Um, <laughs> all right. Does anyone have any final comments before this completely devolves into just us thirsting over stupid antagonists from Aquaman? And when I say us, it's me. The other two have just been laughing at me, being like, hmm, Black Manta and Ocean Master. <laughs> I just, there's there's so much to be said. We could honestly talk for another, I could talk for another, like, three hours about this. Just I could just talk about how complex the villains are, how much this does for Ocean Master as a character, how upset I am they retcon everything that happened to him as a character lately. It's just, there's a reason this is my favorite run. It's just so fun from start to finish it's so visually fantastic from start to finish it's just so hard to believe there's anyone out there that doesn't like this run it's just one of those 
like everything from start to finish just feels perfect to me. Oh, totally. And, you know, you just added another 30 minutes on this podcast because I have to hear you talk about Ocean Master. Oh, my and God. I didn't realize that I had been gushing over Mara, who I love. But Ocean Master was so complex and fun in this. Oh, my God. Yes. What a perfect villain, not really villain, like foil to Arthur. Oh, it was perfect. It was perfect. Like, Talk to us about Ocean Master. He's one of those characters where it's like, I can't really fault you for what you did because you did what you thought was the right thing to do. It was kind of, you know, it was it was awful, but you thought you were under attack. And so you just did what Atlanteans do. You kind of had to put up with human shit for forever. If people kept, you know, like dumping their waste in my house, I would probably be ready to press a, a nuclear strike option too, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just... It always breaks my heart there at the end where he, like, he yields to his brother. He helps his brother fight everything off once they realize they've been betrayed. And then he still gets sentenced to prison. He's, like, pleading with Arthur not to do it. That broke my heart. It always does. It's like this guy just murdered hundreds, if not thousands of people. And I'm like, oh, can we just give him a warning? Can we just let him go? Ooh, baby, slap him on the wrist. Send him home. (laughs) Give him a cookie. And it's... It's one of those things that, going back and rereading it, there's the issue that comes right after the others, where it's just Arthur having a face-to-face with Ocean Master, and he's in shadow the whole time, so he feels so menacing, so foreboding, and it it feels like he's planning something, which is, you know, intentional, because you're supposed to think that Throne of Atlantis was all his doing. Mm -hmm. But to find out it wasn't, and that that conversation he had with Arthur was serious, and that this is a person that, you know, even though he does have a misconstrued view of the surface world although you know does he though yeah <laughs> there are a lot of magneto was right shirts around but where's the ocean master was right shirt good good idea where his ocean master is right oh my god <laughs> i think the best thing this run did for him was make it so that he actually cares about arthur mm-hmm. because i don't think that was ever in doubt through this entire run, because he does some shitty things, but I really think he does. He did care to care about his brother, and I think that was so refreshing to see. And I think it's one of the most disappointing things they didn't adapt for the animated movie, because mm-hmm. it adds this layer of complexity you don't see from villains that often. You don't see villains that really like emotionally have a connection with the hero they're fighting. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I mean, takes... there's just there's just the line where. Orm is like, when I heard I had a brother trapped on the surface, like yeah. I had to do everything to save him. Exactly. And your heart just breaks. You're like, oh my gosh. There was never a moment that Orm didn't think he was doing the right thing. And that he wasn't like in this for Arthur, which is such a departure from how he was before. Because before old stuff, he's basically the typical mustache twirling, world domination type villain. But to see him be this is something so special looking back. And there's the scene, there's scenes where he's in prison and he's just like, oh, the scene where he's like begging to see his brother because he's just stuck there by himself. Lights are off. And he's like, please let me talk to Arthur. That was the second moment. I'm like, please let me hug my son. <laughs> I need to, I need him <laughs> out of this place right now. And um, yeah. Wait, what if we had an Orm Andy dynamic like Victor Von Doom and Valeria Richards. Oh, that would be so cool. Oh my God, wait. <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's fantastic. Million, 
million dollar idea. Just you just run free. a forum. They just need to put their name on it now. There you go. Yeah, I mean, they do have to listen to our episode. Pay a, and send us an Ocean Master helmet. True. I need to see that dynamic. That's that's something I'm going to be Wouldn't thinking be about perfect? for weeks now because I've already been thinking about like the confluence. I'm like, if have, have you read Future State? Just making sure. Yes, I I have read. Okay. Alexis hasn't, but you can talk about it. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about the confluence and how it connects all these different oceans. I was thinking, what if it connected? like different Earths together through like the multiverse. And what if they accidentally ended up in Earth's three ocean and Jackson met a good version of his dad? What would Ooh. that be like? That's that so would now be fun. Are going to be living in my head rent free for the next month. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what we take from this podcast is that you have to think about that. We're mm-hmm. all changing our names to such and such comic book sugar baby exactly and you have to blame me every time a new batman book comes out <laughs> i'm it down my notes right now so don't forget oh perfect thank you so much big sticky note yeah that's how i'm gonna chase clout you know be like ready for this page to blow up and Anne's like just tag me in every negative thing ever <laughs> become a pariah <laughs> um, i don't know why you have a problem with it yeah i mean it sounds perfect honestly um let's again because i'm having fun with this but mm-hmm. what what have you thought of portrayals of aquaman since the john's run because i read a little bit of the parker run when it was coming out mm-hmm. and then i fell off and then i read the whole deconic run and the deconic run for me was really like my oh aquaman isn't just cool like i really like an aquaman comic you know hmm. and so i'm just curious what your thoughts are about Post John's Aquaman. Because when I was reading the Deconic Run, I hadn't read John's stuff. Right? So that, for right. me, was the first, like, oh, Mara is so cool run. And exactly. I didn't have any relationship with Orm, Orm other than, like, mustache twirling. And so I'm interested how I'd feel about his portrayal now that he's my sweet baby from the John's run. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about your thoughts about post John's Aquaman. I think... The hard part with the post-John's Aquaman is, for a lot of it for me, it's all good, but I a lot of it hasn't been great for me. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Aquaman issues comes from the Parker run, and a lot of the Parker stuff is fun, but it just didn't have that same level of gravitas that I think that this run did. Because all the work that this run does with Arthur and Mara's characters is what, you know, pulled me to it in the first place. And I feel like the next couple arcs after focus more on, like, spectacle than they do on the characters themselves and that all has to do with like you know the shifting writers the creative teams um obviously no one that i know was really a big fan of colin bunn's run um parker was a pretty good step parker was a pretty good next pick but i still think it was a step down in quality mm-hmm. and abnett it took him a little bit to catch on because his first three arcs for rebirth weren't my favorites but once we get into like the underworld stuff and aquaman's acting like an underwater batman then things kind of getting really interesting again because it's something different but then Mm -hmm. i actually um i act i actually wasn't too huge on the deconic stuff just because it felt like it was different but it was back to like the very mystical stuff that kind of put me off the 90s a little bit Mm -hmm. so it took me a minute to get you know, used to that. I need to, I'm actually going to revisit it all soon. So I'll let you know after that, what I think of it. Cause most of that stuff I haven't read since the first time it came out. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, this run I've run probably like I've probably read like twenty times. So if that tells you anything, it's that one I of mean, these there's... has the power to pull me back, and the others didn't. Definitely. So definitely, I feel like that's an ongoing problem with for me with comics in general. Like I'll read something, I'll love it, and I'll be like, "Well, see you again in five years," because like there's so much all the time, which isn't a real problem. I mean, I like it, but <laughs> I feel it. And I was, that's why I was so hyped on um, Future State, because reading the Aquaman run obviously gave me this really warm feeling for the first time that got me into reading monthly comics. And I realized when I read Future State Aquaman number one that I hadn't felt that way about an Aquaman comic since these were coming out. And that's why I think this these two issues were so special to me, because it just something about the way these characters are written hit me so deep and so personally that it was all I, all I needed. Yeah, I there's definitely a, a magic in the comic book medium, you know, where you will just find a run that lights you on fire. That's so fun. Um, this definitely like made me want to itch the scratch of re-exploring a lot of new 52 runs that I loved, you know, and being willing, being willing to openly like something that I liked in the past that is no longer popular, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it is just as much as it was fun to crap on the 90s and still is. I mean, I'll never <laughs> stop. But uh, it's it's become like more and more popular to be like, ugh, the, the new 52 is the worst. And I'm like, well, there was stuff that I, like, when it yeah. was coming out, I actively liked. And there was a reason oh, I yeah. fell in love with comics. You know? Exactly. Like, I fell in love with comics during that era, during the all new, all different Marvel, and during the new 52. And what's funny is like, those... It almost seems like the things that are like huge departures from the status quo are the things that have spoken the most to me, right? Like I look back really fondly. I don't. I have mixed feelings about Dan Slott's run on Spider-Man. I feel like there were highs and lows, but like mm-hmm. Superior Spider-Man to me made me fall in love with the character. Like my first issue of Spider-Man I ever picked up was like a Superior Spider-Man Nine. I want to say. And it's like, I didn't even see Peter for like a year and a half. And he's one of my favorite characters. So like stuff like Future State makes me excited. It makes me excited when people are, when the reins are loosened a little bit and people can do exciting things. Oh, yeah. Yep. I like it. Alexis, do you have any final thoughts about Aquaman? Honestly, I'm really glad that we were able to dive into it because I know since you and I have kind of been in the process of rebranding everything, I I hadn't known that this was something that you were going to do with Anne. And I'm really glad that I kind of hopped on in order to be able to be on this. I'm really glad that because honestly, I I wouldn't have read Aquaman without having to have a reason. So <laughs> I'm not there yet. I will be, yeah. but it's I'm yeah, I really liked it. I will say, Anne, it has been so fun talking with you about this. Like, obviously, if you are interested in spending time with us at all, that's a whole different thing. But when we inevitably get around to the Deconic and then the Thompson Captain Marvel runs, Ooh. would love to have you back to talk about Captain Marvel. I will leave my theoretical future husband for Captain Marvel. I'm not even married. <laughs> I Don't would absolutely person. love to do that. I will leave I my know. whole life. I'm really interested. Um, this is the show that never ends. I keep saying final thoughts and then a new question comes to my mind. But I guess as someone that loves Captain Marvel, 
and Deconic has touched both Aquaman and Captain Marvel. Do you, Anne, feel like you enjoyed Deconic's work with Captain Marvel more than you did Aquaman? Were you excited when she was coming over to Aquaman? I'm just curious about like that dynamic with that creator. I was, I was definitely very excited when she was coming over to Aquaman. I'm like, hey, she got both of them. Yeah. We're, we're covered. Um, I think I definitely, after having reread her stuff on Captain Marvel very recently, um, I think I've actually just got the Carol Core stuff from Secret Wars left to go, and I'm caught up with her run. Um, I definitely think I liked what she did with Carol a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I like that her Aquaman stuff felt a bit more cohesive because his his arcs um, it stays in a pretty familiar place the whole time. It has a set beginning, it has a set end where her Captain Marvel stuff kind of jumps around a little bit. And I'm not sure how much of that was, you know, her idea, how much of it was just Marvel editorial telling her where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that from the Aquaman run. But at the same time, I think I liked what she did with the character um, a little bit better when she was writing Carol. Uh, that that makes me excited. That <laughs> makes me excited to explore and reach out to you again when, I, when we're ready to do the oh, Captain yes. Marvel stuff and do it. Or get married. We're going there. <laughs> All right. Um, and do you have any stuff that you want to plug here at the end? Oh, boy. Um, not really. Just um, follow me on Twitter at and Comics, and, yeah, we'll have a fun time. Talk a lot of comics and stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, just from us, you can follow me at Dallas underscore comics on Twitter, and then our new Twitter handle for the podcast is CMX Collective. Um, this We're going through a rebrand for the show. So if you like this new format, make sure to let us know. If you're a new listener, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Twitter. And you might even make it onto the show if you have an interesting enough comment, comment or question. Uh, Alexis, do you have anything do you want to plug? Um, I was just going to say you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three. And as well as Instagram, also Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three. But I also wanted to ask anybody who's listening to rate us and leave a review because that helps um, the podcast out a ton. So that'd be awesome to hear from everyone as well. Yes. Yep. Give us that five-star review. Make sure to send us any underwater helmets that you may have and we will see you again next week